Hello, this is Michelle Weston, host of Wellness Learning Curves 2.0, part of Radio 360 Talk Radio, empowering women around the world. And what I really wanted to talk to you about, which you've heard about, but I wanted to take this uh, segment, this hour to talk about why is a private professional healthcare advocate important and what are they? Because I still think people aren't really clear on what they do. There's all different kinds. There's nurses and doctors. There's lawyers. There's people who have become patient advocates and gotten masters in that. There's people who have been in insurance. There's social workers. All different kinds of people who see a hole in our healthcare landscape today and especially the last 20 years, and are trying to help people navigate that. So when you think of a private professional health advocate, it's a opportunity to help patients and really understand and navigate through hospitals. And why we're doing that is we want to make sure that there's less readmissions. We want to make sure that we're preventing medical error and providing improved communication and education to the families and to the healthcare team in need. And what we're really trying to do is that we are focused on three main priorities. And Trish uh, Dreyer, Terry Dreyer is one of my favorite people from Chicago who I interviewed, and we're going to interview her again because she has a new book out about patient advocacy. Um, she's an RN, and she's just a wealth and plethora of information. But what she talked about is that there's three main priorities for a patient advocate that we focus on, and that is making sure that there's less medical error and that you have the best quality care, that that patient-physician relationship is a whole centered care moment. And lastly, but certainly not least, the protection of patients' rights. We want to make sure that you have those rights. That's why HIPAA is in place. And advocates can also help clients, help patients save thousands of dollars when negotiating with insurance companies, um, not to mention saving people's lives, bringing peace of mind to the families. But we want to make sure that we are there to advocate for you, to speak for you, to support you. And advocates can come, as I said, from many different walks of life and from backgrounds in education. And there are certificate and diploma um, degree programs in patient advocacy. Uh, Sarah Lawrence uh, in New York has one up in Bronxville that's terrific. And we have some in Madison, uh, Wisconsin, at the university, we have some in California, in San Francisco, and Los Angeles. There's one, I don't know if it's still going on in Florida. There's one in Massachusetts. And these programs can be found out online. And you can find a patient advocate through NAHAC. And just enter patient advocate, and you can find one near you. But what we're trying to do is that the patient advocate is important to be able to um, really help people. Um, There is no, well, there is a national accreditation. There's a board certified BACPA, board 
approved patient advocate. And we have to sit for a test that has to do with ethics and what we've learned about what we're doing for patient advocates. Um, I feel the most comfortable with people who come from that background, um, RNs and so forth, definitely. Um, and if you do an online search, as I said, there are many advocacy associations. There's a great one out of Chicago as well. And what's important also is they've been around since the beginning of the 2000s. And when 2009 was, was uh, developing NAC, which is NAHAC, um, they found, which is the National Association of Healthcare Advocacy Consultants, just wanted to make sure that's clear. Um, they developed an advocate code of ethics. So this is for best, best practices and guidelines, and that helps. A lot of people are coming from um, working in the healthcare business, but it's important. So there's the Patient Advocacy Certification Board. It's called PACB, and it provides services to patients as they navigate the health system, and they work to make sure that patients have sufficient information. Um, we're there as an informational role, and we're committed to helping patients make the best informed choices, and also to advocate and access as many resources as possible, not just medical, but also integrative and complementary medicine. And we want to make and ensure that the patient's wishes are the thing that is guiding the patient behind the decisions affecting medical care and the withholding of care. And we work very closely and collaborate with other members of the healthcare team. Um, what we can't do for you it's the first ethical standard developed by NAC, and it's very clear. Advocates will not be the providers of direct medical care. Honestly, this is how it reads when you read the uh, Patient Advocate Certification Board statement. It says, advocates shall not recommend specific treatment choices, provide clinical opinions, or perform medical care of any type, even if they possess clinical credentials. Remember, I've talked about that there's doctors, there's social workers, there are nurses out there, there are RNs out there, there are PAs out there that do advocacy. But what's important is that um, nurses have a very high standard of honesty and ethics, and that's why they uh, take this role on maybe sometimes later in their career. Maybe they switch because they see the need for someone to help. Um, and the reality is, is that everyone needs an advocate in this modern healthcare landscape because we see big reasons um, people do not hire them when they're experiencing healthcare or elder care transitioning crises. And I agree with Trish. I think it's really important to see that um, you're looking at and I will agree with her is, you know, the Affordable Care Act was great. It came into law. But there's little that's affordable in this new world for us. It's You notice that there's higher costs for insurance. There's higher deductibles. There's fewer doctors available for you, dentists who can make and take on Medicaid patients, which is crazy with this continuing rising cost of health care. Um, mine skyrocketed in years, and it looks pretty gloomy. But it's important that this is a scary time in the healthcare landscape in America. And we want to make sure 
that we can help you. So when you see a dynamic in a family where perhaps a a parent is starting to fail, you'll see normally a child and normally it is a, a daughter steps up and they do most of the caregiving and they go to doctor's appointments. They arrange mom and dad's appointments. They make sure their bills are paid. They manage all the various problems that arise when parents age and they insist upon living on their own until they die, whether it's safe or not to do so. My sister was amazing in Michigan with my mom and my brother and I were very lucky that she was there and she was quite, quite wonderful at doing that. Um, People though get, you know, get frustrated and it's hard. And sometimes um, you need more help than that. So at this point, you don't even know that you're sort of burning out and you know, I need some help. And you don't have to do everything by yourself. There's choices. So with aging parents, you hear a lot of times that an outsider, like a nurse says that they cannot hear the same message, you know, in ways they cannot hear it from their child, child. And maybe they need to hear it from a stranger, but a patient advocate is not a stranger. This is a, a chance to have somebody who is not a child, who's not a family member, help with some things that, as we say, it takes a village to surround people that are aging. And we need to have seamless help become, you know, have more people who are professionals help in that village to make sure our parents keep uh, around, they're healthy for as long as possible. And whether you learn to do this yourself, um, as a caregiver, or you hire a professional advocate, one thing's certain, everyone, everyone needs an advocate these days. It is, it's strange, it's a weird time in healthcare, and we know what's going on. Nurse advocates are the most popular, um, especially when dealing with harder cases, and you can bring in a doctor to deal with really challenging cases. Um, Seema Khan, I brought on, and she's a doctor from the West Coast. Terry Dreyer is a nurse in Chicago and works in uh, several of the other states around that area. So this is the opportunity to really um, look at things and develop this and really, really um, take your time and find what works best for you. So when I'm looking at this. Um, even me, when I went back to help my mom in 2020, when she was struggling with her myasthenia gravis, I can only do so much. I am not a doctor. I am not a nurse. I'm not a healthcare professional with a specialty, but I can also bring things to light. And that means that I can, a person to be a person to know that I have to get a lawyer in place and do those things to make sure that we are helping each other. Um, there's, you know, patient advocates when you go to hospitals or sometimes even for health insurance companies, now they have patient advocates. The word has sort of been bandied about and changed. And I don't quite know if I think that that word is being used correctly, but I think that many of us who are independent professional patient advocates would sigh that I don't want to work for a uh, CEO of a hospital. I really 
love when I'm able to be an independent advocate for a patient. And that doesn't mean they're not amazing in hospitals, but they have a different role. And one of the things that's the most important um, that I've found is that, and I've talked about this before, people, family members behave badly in public or react with anger when something's happening that's really important. Like think about ICUs when decisions have to be made and a family member or caregiver reacts in anger. And it's usually because they're more afraid than they are angry. So Remember, angry is a secondary emotion. The primary one is fear. I, I don't want to lose this person. I want this person to stay here as long as they can because they've been my family forever, especially parents. And um, whether you're the, the firstborn, whether you're the middle child, whether you're youngest, it's important that one deals with death and dying in different ways. And I found that I have to go back to my grandma's best thing she told us. And she lived till she was a hundred. So grandma Bubala used to say, Sylvia used to say, you have two ears and one mouth. So listen twice as hard. So I found that listening is the most important thing that healthcare professionals or family members can do when they're confronted with somebody who's angry, somebody who's getting emotional or they're grieving. And, anger sometimes is a just cause the problem can often be addressed and resolved but anger and lashing out at others um, may be a sign of pain and it can only be resolved when we remember important things as human beings that you need to be kind we need to be compassionate with one another and we need to be a caring person that will sit with somebody who is upset distraught and really really hear them that's hard to find in today's fast-paced healthcare landscape, but it's really necessary. And that anger that you're experiencing, I always say, you know, that's not my movie. You can watch that movie, but it's not yours. It's not about me as the patient advocate. It's because that caregiver, that family member is angry. And it's much easier for people to deal with anger than grief because anger feels powerful. It means that, you know, we can say it loudly and admitting that you're really upset and sad means that we're vulnerable and it means that we're not able to handle something and nobody wants to be lost. So it's important to remember that, that people can be in deep pain and it's more important than most people realize. And I always make sure that when I'm working with people, we have um, non-tangible deliverables. So these are things that I hear from people that are important. And that is that you need to have tips to equip. So finding a perfect advocate for your own needs is really important. Figuring out what that, what that, um, match is is important and making sure you have all your legal documents in order so when you're hiring an advocate you're there's fees that be paid that are paid by the patient or the loved ones but the client is always the patient regardless of who is paying for the fees okay to 
really, we sometimes experience some degree of ethical tension when we are hired by uh, the children um, to watch their aging parents. And it's always uh, a fine line. And there are times where we must work hard towards a collaborative plan. So we meet with people, be transparent, make sure that your patient advocate is being transparent with the with what you need and what will be involved. And as we talked about education, make sure you have somebody who can negotiate with insurance companies to pay your, uh, to help pay the medical bills. And you may not need a nurse or physician. You may need somebody who's great at appeals. Um, everything is different. And those of us who are patient advocates, many of us can also, uh, refer you to someone if there's something that's going on that is much more involved. Um, but make sure you, you're, you've got it clear what you're looking for an advocate with your family needs and ask about their experience with advocating in situations that are like your own with somebody who has a chronic condition, with somebody who has a terminal illness and make sure that you read a contract carefully before you sign on the dotted line, as with anything. So be sure to ask for a quote for services that you feel may be bundled together. So may, there may be a flat fee, maybe an hourly fee. It just depends. Many of us work on a sliding scale to help others. And we can sometimes work alongside you and teach you how to be a more effective advocate yourself. And that helps you save time and money in the long run. And we can sort of walk with you to become better. Um, it's important to just remember, um, sometimes uh, you may find hospitals, insurance companies that offer these services. Remember, I told you that, but they're different than a professional independent one. And if you're choosing somebody for yourself, it's important to be watchful and present when a doctor visits. And it's important to always tell your clients, tell the caregivers and the family to make sure that they have a small notebook handy so you can remember all the, the questions you need to ask the doctor or the nurse when you see them. And make sure you write down everything and keep notes on what different doctors tell you. Be careful how much time you spend. Doctors often see like 20 patients per day and they have these electronic medical records they have to keep up. They have orders, they have reading of tests. So be respectful, appreciate the care that you get. And most patients will be surprised to hear that doctors and, and nurses and other healthcare uh, team members rarely get, uh, you know, thank you so much and uh, feel that, you know, they get acknowledged. So don't take them for granted. Uh, kind word can make their day. Honestly, just thank you so much for what you did. Thank you for making this work. So it's also important. Um, to be a village and ask your village around you to help you. Honestly, we asked a village to help raise children. So why not look around and take care of your bill paying electronically, schedule automatic payments so you don't find yourself with late charges. Um, think about things like that. But you need to also take care of yourself, even in small ways, as often as you can. And while you may not have time for the gym membership, um, you can get some extra steps in, take the steps. You can choose healthier meals. You can choose healthier snacks. Um, 
choose things that help you make your life early um, work better and have people to talk to. You know, if you're stressed out, if you're feeling sad, if you're not sleeping well, help can be a phone call away to to a friend and maybe you're on Zoom and you see them. So do what you need to do. If you're religious, find a clergy member, find a rabbi, find a priest, find someone to talk to. Um, that's always important. Uh, it could be a group. It could be a, whatever you need to do for yourself. And that's important. And it also helps with Medicare and insurance concerns. And know your rights. Okay, that's why we have HIPAA, H-I-P-P-A, Health Information Privacy and Protection Act. That was created to make sure that you can um, get through the mumbo jumbo because there's lots of it when you're signing things. Make sure you know what you're signing. Make sure you you read it. If you're concerned that you're going to miss something, have somebody else read it for you. Have the patient advocate read it for you. Have another person read it for you. Um, and that's important. That patient bill of rights that was created um, is important. Um, we revised it, actually. The American Hospital Association revised the patient bill of rights in 2003. And why that was important is that we wanted to make sure that we were protecting privacy of the patient that there was help with your bill and filing insurance claims, that they were helping you with that. There's a whole office. There's lots of people who help at uh, hospitals and professional groups of uh, doctors that are professional teams. And we also have people that help you be prepared when you come to the hospital and when you leave the hospital so that you leave there knowing what you have to take, knowing what you have to do. and. That's important. So, and don't be one of those. I don't mean to say don't, but try not to be one of those people who are reluctant to tell your physician everything for fear that they're going to judge you. It's so important to tell people. I don't care if you're drinking more, tell them that because medicine relaxes to different things. And it's important that um, they know that so they can make sure that they help you. In regards to things like, you know, having anesthesia. And it's scary if we don't know all that stuff. So we'd rather know you're not being judged. You just have to share your health goals and your values and what's going on with you um, with your healthcare team as well as your family. And this can be pretty difficult because you may be vastly thinking about um, that you've been diagnosed with cancer in the liver and, and that it's about that you were drinking too much. Maybe you weren't drinking too much. and But be honest and tell them where you are with things. And that's important too. Maybe you were around a lot of smoke growing up. You know, that can be a, a horrible way for it to be transferred, but it happens. Um, so when you need to take action, um, Take action and trust your instincts, okay? And we believe in perseverance for patients' rights does pay off. So trust your instincts. And human beings usually have great sense of when things aren't going to go as well as we think they should. So speak up when you're in a hospital bed. 
if possible, ask a friend or a loved one to be at your bedside, especially in those early mornings when most physicians make their rounds with their residents and their fellows. Um, Speak to your nurse about your concerns. Nurses, the best. They're usually the individual people who just take the best notes and they're able to give you some insight or intercede on your behalf and let the doctors know. And when your issues are being discussed, try to explain your issues as calmly and as kindly and as even tempered as you can. That old adage, you get more flies with honey than with vinegar. Remember that. And you should document your experiences on paper. So include dates and times because many hospitals have their own advocates, um, as I said, who are sole purpose is to keep people happy so they don't end up suing them later on. So ask for the advocate to come to your room and see if they can help you. Ask about their credentials. Um, often are not even, they're not nurses. They ask as customer service representatives you should know what level of education and what knowledge they have. Very important. And you have the courage and you feel up to it. You could address the physician directly or have a loved one direct them. I'm a doctor's daughter, so it's easier for me to uh, be able to speak up. And I'm grateful for that every day. And, you know, ask for the charge nurse if things don't work. You know, this is the person overseeing all the nurses And you can request a different physician. There's usually even more than one hospitalist on duty. Now we have hospitalists that are in the hospital, not just specialists that are helping. And the last is, if you have to, ask the nurse for risk management. And this is the department that handles lawsuits, potential lawsuits. I'm not litigious, so I would hate to go that route, but... Just asking for the number may get you something going in the right direction and make sure that you get involved with your care and make sure that you know what's going on with the treatment plan. And if, you know, if your advocate isn't available to you, bring a loved one, bring a friend to listen, take notes. It's difficult for a patient to take all the information in when you're thinking about your medical concerns. It's just people just stop listening, not on purpose, but they just stop hearing. And it's great to have somebody taking notes for you. So a clinical trial occurs after, and a clinical trial is important because it may be an option. So that's done with the FDA because it has to be approved, Food and Drug Administration. And many clinical trials are great. And sometimes, you know, don't discount them, but really do your homework to see what's going on with the clinical trials in your hospital. There's a lot of cancer drugs that are done all the time. Don't forget that you have the right to refuse recommended treatment. Um, The doctor mentioned, I can remember uh, one patient advocate's telling me that some person went to see her gynecologist for abnormal bleeding. And I don't know what was going on with this doctor, but he said, maybe you should have a hysterectomy to remove your uterus. Rick, really? I mean, you signed the confirmation for the surgery, you put a date on the calendar, you came back to your doctor. Um, She cried. I don't want to have to do this. And the medical thankfully shared with the doctor and the surgery was immediately canceled. You know, there's different ways to do it. Don't go with the the, the most, uh, you know, cut and paste. Don't do it. 
Refusing treatment doesn't mean your physician's going to agree with you. Um, emergency department physicians can relate to many stories of patients who are brought in, sometimes by ambulance, sometimes in a, in a taxi or in a car, and they've found to be having a heart attack, and yet they refuse treatment. How strange that is. I, you know, make sure you understand what that means. Make sure that you have things in place that you are um, making that make sense. You will not have the right to refuse treatment, um, certain things. When you're a non-pregnant minor, you have to let the parents know because you can't make decisions for an unborn child when you have a minor. So that's important. Um, it, yeah, it's very important that you do that. And as awful as this sounds, you have to be declared mentally incompetent by a physician to make your own decisions. Um, incompetence might be due to a number of different reasons that would come like dementia, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, um, developmental delays, mental illness as well. But remember, it's also including people who are suicidal patients who would not be allowed to refuse admission to the hospital. Um, suicidal patients are deemed danger to themselves, so they can be held for 72 hours to be observed. It's called an observation, a 72-hour observation, and even longer with the involvement of a judge. So make sure you understand these things. Um, if uh, you need to have have your current medical condition, um, if you had a current medical condition that is thought to impair your judgment. So if you had cognitive issues and you're refusing treatment, there may be a head injury involved. You may have uh, gotten hit and be um, you know, suffering with a concussion or a brain bleed, or you're under alcohol or drugs and impaired thinking. So now that I gave you that yucky stuff, just remember what's out there and what you need to do. So understand your medical situation and ensure that all your healthcare needs are met by your team and that you have the essentials and protect yourself legally. Um, make sure that the medical jargon is understood, okay? Don't let it just be jargon. Make sure it's understood and there there could be legal implications, so make sure you're reading it correct. And make sure that you become your right-hand supporter and patient care manager. Make sure that you talk with insurance companies or that there's somebody who is talking to them. Um, being a 24-hour resource guide um, as an independent patient advocate is different. You know, it's like having, for some people, we'll say, I know Trish has people that are under her realm and the other nurses in her company and in Chicago, it's like having a nurse in the family. And that is the best thing in the world. Um, the emergency room, let's talk about the emergency room for a second. You know, the biggest question sometimes is, are you going to, you get, for, you get fearful and you start to go, what am I gonna do? First thing you need to do is, are you gonna call an ambulance? And most people worried about the cost and surprisingly a huge concern is that they don't want the neighbors to know what's going on. So make sure that um, if you're having chest pain or you're having difficulty breathing, an ambulance should always be called. 
emergency physicians cannot count the number of times they've seen people that are that are deceased because nobody called anyone and people say well i wanted to call the ER, but my father wouldn't let me well override them during a heart attack a person it's against the clock and you have to move quickly and take that bull by the horn and make a decision because many successful saves have been made with a defibrillator seriously it's ready and it's there it makes a big difference and if you were at like an at a sporting event or if you were on a plane or at a mall or a grocery store they normally um schools have them they have defibrillators at hand but operating the defibrillator untrained is much better for the patient than doing nothing so really you could take a cpr course that's so important um when you think that it may be a stroke remember there's four things weakness on one side of the body maybe just an arm or leg or it could be both an arm and a leg on one side there could be slurred speech or not making any sense when they're speaking there could be that drooping smile they could be passing out most people don't have all these symptoms and they have totally different symptoms depending on the area of the brain that's affected women have a different reaction so you've got a very tight window it's a couple of hours and the faster you move the better off you are so god only knows what kind of stroke it is and i'm not putting fear into you but i want you just to think about some things because it's important um if there's something that uh you know happens to an arm or a leg and somebody gets cut or something like that not stabbed but cut remember you know call the ambulance and always grab, as we call it, the important documents. And this is true for anyone that has an ongoing medical problem, a chronic condition, or if you're in the middle of a complicated uh, procedure or treatment or cancer, and you may have medical problems in the past, um, make sure they're ready to go. Have them together. Um, make sure that there's a list of the current medications, what the percentage of the, um, you know, the, uh, strength is when they're taken are they taken twice a day are they taken once a day this list should also include you're going to be surprised but vitamins herbal supplements because some of them interfere with some medications and that would be really sucky if they did you know it you'd be fascinated by what these are so it could be st john's wort it could be um, echinacea it could be zinc but make sure you put them down and let them know let the er know so all the physicians that you see you should have a list i have a long list because 22 years of ms it's a long list but i make sure when i start with a new doctor or when i update it that i send them that and it's in their files if you have a list of allergies, whether that's foods, whether that's environment or medications, have that written down. If there's an, a, a side effect like penicillin and you go into anaphylactic shock, guess what? If you use an EpiPen, you got to have that stuff down so they can take care of it immediately. Um, these are the things that you can help. Make sure that you have your past medical problems, the past surgeries, and write up a list so you know it's accurate. And the last, well, one of the last things is make sure you have a healthcare power of attorney. 
It's called your POLST. Physician Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment, P-O-L-S-T. You can look that up online. There's a document. Um, there's a legal document. It changes sometimes from state to state, but go on to Pulsed. If you need to enter your state, do that. And make sure that you have the copies of your uh, insurance card and your driver's license or your passport, whatever is your ID. And Make sure that someone stands outside to flag them down because ambulances are hard if you're living in a house. You know, if you're in an, you know, an apartment building in a city, it's easier. But just make sure that it's easy. Make sure the front door is open. Whatever you need to do. Um, and then they're going to bring you in to make sure that let's just take you through there. Um, you know, who's working in the... Uh, in the ER these days, nurses, there's people that are um, residents, there's fellows, and there's specialists, there's all different kinds of emergency medicine physicians, emergency medicine surgeons. And so it's important to understand um, that there's an ED physician who's like, that's the emergency department physician. There's nurse practitioners. There's also um, a PA is a physician's assistant, someone who has completed undergraduate college and then two years of graduate college to assist the physician in seeing patients. So these are important. And um, of course, registered nurses, RNs, because we couldn't do anything without them. There's PCTs, patient care technicians. So they are the right arm of a registered nurse because they come in and they help change with a gown. They hook up monitors. They make sure you get a blanket and they may bring you your medicine. If the, uh, uh, they, they won't bring you your medicine. Sorry about that. Um, the nurse always does that. You're not going to really see a, P a, a, a PCT, patient care technician, do that. But these are the kind of people that can help you. Um, and make sure that you get familiar with them. There's a charge nurse. There's a lot of people. So take part in and know that you have the right to take, to, to have access to emergency services. Even the hospitals out of your network, it doesn't matter. Take part in treatment decisions. Ask about the pros and cons of a treatment. Even no treatments, even if you're not going to do something. And you can refuse any test if you deem that this is not a good test because it's in the patient's Bill of Rights chapter. You can discharge yourself from the hospital, even against medical advice. But if you sign yourself out as against medical advice, your insurance company may stick you with a huge hospital bill. So be respectful, be considerate. And you don't have to put up with surly nurses or rude physicians both ways. It goes both ways. That's why it's a patient-physician care uh, relationship. I think that that's really, really important in the world of what's going on. Um, you have the right to complain with uh, and appeal something, and you're you have privacy. So make sure you also treat everyone with kindness and write things down. And if the patient can't speak for themselves, the family member who's doing the talking for them, it just irks the staff. If you keep 
repeatedly having to answer the same question to different family members. Choose who that is, make that decision, let that person be the main lead, okay? And take notes because you always may need them for something. Um, If it's not going well, find, you know, somebody to help you and go up the chain. Make sure that you're getting what you need. Um, And, you know, danger lurks in every hospital. Nobody's looking for that. But your relationship with your PCP, with your primary care physician, is more complicated than it used to be. There's not, you know, Marcus Welby is not working at, at the doctor's office. It's just not like that anymore. But you want to make sure um, you should have a, a family practice physician or internal medicine physician, but know the difference between the different kinds that we have. You can always go on to internet sites like helpgrades.com or zocdoc.com and see what they think. Hospitals um, will also have notes. And I love getting a recommendation from nurses or doctors or ask whom they would send their own family members to. It's a great endorsement. So if you find a physician on the internet um, that you love, you know, are you thinking of that? The other thing I want to bring to your attention is, and I think people really find this odd, but we found that with my mom, too many medicines are necessarily not a good thing. So when patients are contacted because your mother's like forgetful and dizzy, it could be because she has too many prescriptions. You could go to the the pharmacist and tell them all the things that are being taken, make sure they're not crossing. Um, Make sure that you go to the doctor and maybe they need to be weaned off of medication and then those symptoms sort of disappear. You know, medications are medications, but just make sure that you are um, knowing what you're taking. Um, here's some great tips. When you see a doctor for the first appointment with a new doctor, make sure you ask these questions. Will I see the same person for primary care each time I come to the office? And what happens when I go to the hospital? And does the doctor accept Medicare and or my insurance? You could have a secondary insurance or an insurance before you go on Medicare. And how long does it typically take to get an appointment if I'm sick? Remember today, sometimes it's three, four months out. So when you go online, especially on my chart, make sure that you are saying that if there's an appointment that comes up that's earlier, they should contact you. But that also means you got to be looking at your texts and you've got to be, you know, if you set it up that it goes into text, that it dials your, you know, that it gives you a warning from your phone number, but also your emails. Look for that. Um, It's important. Um, And what hospital does the doctor have admitting privileges at? Is your doctor um, able to see you in Mount Sinai as opposed to um, Grace Hospital, whatever that is. Um, and make sure if you need to have it explained that this doctor experiences treating this specific ailment, please do that. Go on, see if they've been writing research papers online under the website of the hospital. Now, you will be surprised. Ask if there's a cancellation policy and if you're going to be charged if you have an appointment and you don't get there or something happens it's better to be safe than sorry and no and 
Is there a policy for phone calls after hours? Normally, there is somebody on call with a professional team of doctors, especially specialists. So ask those questions um, and make sure that you also know things like if something like is egg-based and you're allergic to eggs, some vaccinations have that in there. So we want to keep you away from that. That's why we need a whole list of things. You'd be surprised. Um, go 15 minutes early before, because just <laughs> simply, it'll make your blood pressure reading much better and much more accurate than you running through the door. So um, medications prevent a lot of things, cure disease, but what are the side effects? Look at them, but don't go crazy that, oh my God, there's side effects. But know that these are things that are important to know. Are you going to have an ulcer from taking too much of um, Motrin or Advil because it's hard on your stomach? Ask those questions. If you're somebody who has um, heartburn, um, are you on PPIs? They're called proton pump inhibitors. And we're just mortal people. <laughs> so you'll see the names of these, Nexium, Prilosic, Prevacid, um, sometimes the generics used, Omeprazole, O-M-E-P-R-A-Z-O-L-E, um, Esomeprazole, in addition to uh, a whole collection of other names. Make sure, look it up on your phone. And if you want to know, also, make sure that you are um, really looking to treat your medical conditions because more serious health policy problems um, have more disability and early death because somebody just ignored something, even something simple like GERD or heartburn. Just let somebody know that this is going on because the rising cost of medication is insane. We're, you know, a lot of pharmaceutical companies who develop these do help out patients with things, especially infusions and pills that are expensive. Um, but make sure that you know, because you want to make sure that you are up to date on things. Okay. In 2012, there was from which is a growing area, American Geriatric Society, they updated their list on um potentially inappropriate medicine use in older elder adults. And you'd be surprised what's on there. But what if those medications made you dizzy? What it then you could fall, you could break a hip, hit your head, um, you could get um, woozy, you could get cognitive issues. If you have an access to a computer, go to www.americangeriatrics.org and make sure that you look at the beers criteria, B-E-E-R-S, yes, I know, beers like you drink, criteria, medication list for yourself. And when your doctor gives you a new medication, make sure that you look at the other things like Benadryl makes you tired. Sometimes antibiotics give you diarrhea or stomach cramps. These things are, you know, they are the dangers of taking medications. And there a lot of times are alternatives to taking a medication. Um, if you don't treat the condition with a medication, well, what happens? And also, there's a point in time, a lot of times, do you still need this medication? Um, is it time to do something else? Can I make a lifestyle modification, a behavior change? 
to help me reduce or eliminate my reliance on the medication. Yeah, you don't have to take this forever. Certain things, of course, I, you know, I'm not a doctor. I never say I am. I'm not a nurse. But ask questions. So hopefully you're getting an idea of why patient advocates are great. Um, the drug discounts out there. Look at goodrx.com. Look at werx.org, werx.org, um, lowestmed.com needymeds.org. It's a great database and they'll help you a lot. Um, managing the side effects, we want to make sure that you're really up on that. Um, illness is hard and the psychology of illness is, you know, is, is a challenge. It makes sure that the person could be just, you know, experiencing depression, make sure that you ask questions, you know, um, where do you start? What are your alternatives? Can you eat bitter? Can you eat sugar? Can you do whatever? But those legal documents, again, look for a healthcare power of attorney, make sure you have somebody listed, make sure that um, you've got post the physician order for life-sustaining treatment, because those things will change your life. And the other thing, what I think is important is um, exploring alternative therapies. That's where a patient advocate, and for me, because I have two hats that I wear, um, I feel that it's important to wear one hat, make, make it clear when I am wearing one hat as opposed to the other. But there are alternative therapies. We call it sometimes CAM, uh, complementary alternative uh, medicine or integrative medicine, which I love. Um, they're great. They work really well with conventional things like naturopathic supplements, using acupuncture for pain, massage, biofeedback, yoga, meditation, love stress reduction, organic nutritional support. Make sure you're understanding all those things because um, those things also can help you. I've known that um, acupuncture helps a great deal with tremors in my leg and sleeping. And um, even Northwestern Memorial Hospital has a big uh, integrative. Duke University as well. Um, Memorial Sloan Kettering here in New York. Um, uh, there is a uh, massage therapist and acupuncturist over at uh, New York uh, Langone. And hospitals, you'd be surprised um, what they think, you know, even chiropractors. Not for everybody. If you're working with a neurologist, they're not going to like chiropractors because they crack things in the head. So um, they're not going to be happy with that. But integrative medicine, holistic medicine is great. Um, I, I, I like the use of that, but be careful and let people know what you're doing. So you can mix, do that. You can try Reiki. You can try lots of things, but I want to make sure that you are knowing what things are. And from all of this, the most important thing is have a plan. That's what a patient advocate is brilliant at. They really help you have a plan. So if you consider alternative medicine or complementary, the things to look at is 
don't be afraid to talk to your physician about alternative medicine. Be prepared for resistance from some hardcore traditionalists, of course, but gosh, good massage, um, some acupuncture, some um, mindfulness-based stress reduction. Can't imagine that that would be a bad thing. And never underestimate the importance of really good nutrition. So getting a nutritionist, a dietitian, getting a naturopath to help you find the things that are best for you, living with a chronic condition, um, you know, you'd be surprised. Patient advocates may have a big um, resource list of what's around because they're not doing that. But in that city, in that state, they may have some ideas. And don't be a slave to the dogma, to the blah, blah, blah. Make sure that you are, you know, you can use integrative tools. You can use those tools. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And um, most disease is a natural reaction to an unnatural environment. So some of us feel that there are things in the environment that bother us. And also, you know what? Some illnesses, some chronic conditions can be improved by beginning with How about this, guys? Changing your perception, changing your state of mind. Because you'd be surprised. Your body has an innate ability to self-regulate and to self-heal without interference. But everybody does have limitations. So the other thing that's great, and we're almost done with that list, water is a universal solvent. Sometimes, seriously, that's all the body needs is water. Eight glasses of water a day. You'd be surprised. There is water in things. Look at what an eight-ounce glass is. If it scares you to like have a 40-ounce big thing of it, 23 ounces of water, use another kind of cup and make it work for you. Sometimes people take little, which is wasteful and plastic, but for some people, it's important, have a little bottles of Poland spring, the eight ounce bottles placed around their house, around the office, in their desk drawers and stuff, in their in their car. Except if you leave it in the car, the plastic is not great to be in the sunshine. So don't like leave it in the car forever, please. And the more you move, the less you lose. So it's an important key to improving the lifestyle changes you want to make. So um, that's that's why I want you to understand what we do. That's why I'm always explaining what a health and wellness coach is, what they're able to do, changes in the law, because it's made a big difference for many. And I feel lucky that I have learned all that I have and can share it with the people that I work for and contact me. Um, Because I always come back to this, it always takes a village, whether I am a health and wellness coach, a health coach, whether I am a patient advocate, a healthcare advocate, um, that role independently means that I'm going into partnership with the person I'm coaching or the patient that I'm helping or the caregiver that's asked me to help their loved one who's the patient. And those are really, really beneficial beneficial things that make a difference in this lifetime. So I hope that this talk today for empowerment on Radio 360 has been helpful. 
We always turn into a podcast. You can always find us. And if you have any ideas, please contact me at mjwellnessnavigator.com. It's Michelle Weston, host of Wellness Learning Curves 2.0, graduating and getting up there and taking charge of your life. Have a great day and enjoy the sunshine. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. I wanted to take an opportunity to introduce myself a little more. My focus as a health and wellness support coach and a patient advocacy consultant is to work with patients, clients who are seeking to make lifestyle modifications that are struggling with chronic conditions such as obesity, diabetes 2, high BP or cholesterol, stress, rheumatoid arthritis, neurological conditions that are autoimmune conditions like MS and Graves and even Lyme disease using wellness navigation tools. Because I want to teach you how to tap into yourself. Even as an advocate, I want to be able to leave you with the tools to be able to walk away and advocate for yourself when you're speaking to a doctor or speaking to a insurance company and really make sure they understand you and they're not talking over you or around you or below you and that you are in control. Um, MJ Wellness Navigator LLC provides an integrative health and resilience coaching and patient advocacy education. And remember, our services are not medical or mental health advice. I'm a board certified and well-being coach, and I'm also a certified patient advocacy consultant. I'm not a licensed medical or licensed medical health professional. Nothing on the mjwellnessnavigator.com website in my content should be construed as healthcare or mental health advice. It's important to understand that because each one of those titles has different jobs. As a coach and as a board-certified health and wellness coach and as a certified patient advocacy consultant, I deliver these solutions to the unique needs of each of my clients. I am also providing medical groups that are professionals and practitioners with workshops and lectures at medical symposiums on ongoing education to use health and wellness coaching for their patients. If I can focus on a client's education, then I have an opportunity to really tap into your knowledge and bring forth what's great. I believe the road to deciding where and how a patient or a client can bring change is a collaborative one. We work together. It's not me telling you what to do and then you doing it. It is you and I figuring out the best way for you to reach your goal. Whereas the coach and coachee, we work as a team. I believe in honoring a client's gut or intuition, examining their life experience, and embracing inside readiness to create changes on a person's life path. I'm a connector, and I have a myriad of connections that I have established over the years. I can provide you towards an acupuncturist, a biofeedback expert, an integrative nutritionist, a homeopathic expert, Pilates, all of those things, even down to mindfulness-based stress reduction with John Kabat-Zinn that I learned from Boston. I can help you with your education, and I can help people better understand how patients can help and advocate for themselves. So with an open heart, 
listening ear, humor, grace, and compassion, I want to help you merge what you may need, want, or perhaps envision from your medical teams to achieve better patient-physician relationships. I guide patients, and I want to guide you with this Wellness Learning Curves 2.0 show every Sunday. Looking forward to the next one. Thank you. Thank you.